So the more you lean into the human experience, the social experience, the five senses experience of being somewhere, I think that's where we succeed. Welcome to Behind the Brand, presented by NEO. We take an inside look at the leaders behind today's most influential brands. I'm your host, Jeff Adamson. As co-founder of NEO Financial and Skip the Dishes, I am fascinated by what it takes to build great companies. This season, we'll learn from leaders who are reimagining, innovating, and transforming industries all across Canada. Let's get going. Today, I'm excited to introduce Laura Maines, Senior Vice President of Innovation at Cadillac Fairview. With a Canadian portfolio that comprises 68 landmark properties that see millions of visits each year, including CF Toronto Eaton Centre, CF Chinook Centre, and CF Pacific Centre, Cadillac Fairview is a leader in creating and cultivating exceptional places and experiences. Laura is passionate about continually pushing the boundaries of what is possible, reimagining the shopping experience, and finding new ways to bring the best of physical and digital together to solve business challenges. Laura works closely with colleagues across Cadillac Fairview and industry leaders to develop new, innovative digital tools and services that support reimagination of retail and office tenant success and deliver great customer experiences to all Cadillac Fairview's properties. Welcome, Laura. Thank you for having me. I was thinking back and it occurred to me that it actually was right before the pandemic because I had an invitation from you to come to this, this kind of grand event. And then it was like, Hey, there's this, there's this kind of bug going around and then like kind of stay tuned. And then it was like, Hey, we're going to postpone it. And then I think another email I got was like, it's just totally off. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I joined two weeks before the lockdowns. So I joined. I joined a shopping mall company two weeks before they all got shut down for quite some time. So it was not the start I was expecting. I'll say that. Maybe just for people who aren't as familiar with Cadillac Fairview, just give us an understanding of what is Cadillac Fairview. Yeah, Cadillac Fairview is one of the biggest premier landlords, commercial real estate companies in in Canada. Something like 38 office towers, coast to coast, including the TD Centre in Toronto, the Pacific Centre and waterfront properties in Vancouver. And 18 shopping centers from coast to coast, from from Moncton all the way to Vancouver and Richmond, BC. And so the company's existed for quite a long time. It also has a lot of international investments as well, but my scope is relegated, you know, specifically to the Canadian market. And your role is really focused on innovation. Can you can you shed some light on what does innovation within this industry look like? There's actually a a lot of different ways to innovate in commercial real estate. My specific focus area is digital innovation. I would say even further, like digital customer experience innovation, both in retail primarily, but also in office. There's also innovation happening in real estate, as we all know, in sustainability, in smart building technology. There's a Mm -hmm. a lot of other different ways to innovate in, in the realm of buildings. I think when a lot of people think of malls, though, they think of the physical shopping mall. But where does digital come in when you when you think of of shopping centers? So it's not a surprise to anybody that retail has been undergoing a digital transformation for you know two decades. Cadillac Fairview recognized, rightly so, several years ago, mm-hmm. that pretending that the rise of e-commerce isn't you know a trend or even you could see it as a threat to recognize is very short-sighted. So they set up the innovation function because they recognize that there is a real opportunity and a power in integrating the digital and the physical experience. So the way to keep the physical shopping experience relevant for consumers 
who are now increasingly used to, you know, the, the personalization, the convenience, the ease of e-com mm-hmm. and digital payments and so forth. How can we bring that to the physical experience to make it better? Like obviously my, my background is in marketplaces. I think of a shopping center as a marketplace of brands, but then how do you integrate your own strategies into the strategies of the retailers that you guys work with? We take what I call like the ecosystem view. Actually, that's why I came to Cadillac Fairview, right? Because I had always come up through retailer, working retailer by retailer, and the opportunity yeah. to work at what I'd call the ecosystem level was really interesting to me about how do you think about the customer journey, not only with an in- interaction with an individual retailer, but you're right, with the whole marketplace of retailers and, and restaurants and other services in our centers. And so when you look at it at that level, you see a lot of opportunities to create integrations between those experiences mm-hmm. as, as the mall operator. So similar to how we bring our merchants together physically, you can do a lot of that digitally as well. And so the, the tools and apps and websites and services that we've created are with an eye to not trying to replace the retailer's role, not mm. trying to disintermediate them from their customer because they've made very clear, these are my customers. I don't want you getting in the way of the relationship I have with my customer. We see ourselves more as how can we bring those customers to you and bring new customers to you, right? Based on what we know about our shoppers to help you succeed even more. And how can we help you in many cases modernize in places where you might not yet be there on your transformation journey? How can we help integrate you into a, a bigger framework? I mean, you spent close to a decade in on the consulting side. What was ultimately for you the, you know, that one push that made you decide, okay, I actually want to go over to the client side and, and start working, you know, inside of these businesses? Yes, I spent what might be considered an unusually long time as a consultant. I think it was a dozen years altogether across two different firms. I really enjoyed the work. I really loved the fast pace and getting to learn new things all the time, being airdropped into a new industry or a new function or a new brand and having to learn it quickly and, Mm -hmm. you know, try to make myself useful, right? Try to add value. Um, But after a while of that, because most people know the life of a consultant looks glamorous from the outside, but it's actually hard work, long hours, grueling travel. And, you know, you get older and start having a family and that work-life balance becomes increasingly elusive. So... The other factor for me personally was each case that I was doing, I was increasingly able to rely on my own past experience or my toolkit, which is nice, but my learning curve was kind of flattening out, mm. right? There's only so many two by two diagrams you, <laughs> you know, you put together or how many spreadsheets you build or whatever that before you're like, okay, I, I think I've got this kind of covered. You've kind of out-frameworked it. Yeah. <laughs> and I was ready for a new challenge. I was ready for new skills and specifically... I tell people like I kind of wanted to taste my own medicine, right? Because I had spent my career giving informed analytics-based advice to leaders, but I wasn't there to execute and see it through. And I really wanted to go somewhere where I could own the outcomes of my own ideas and be accountable to the implementation. Mm-hmm. Because as we all know, a good plan poorly executed isn't worth as much as a bad plan really well executed. Mm-hmm. And so Learning how to execute and implement, I thought, is what I needed to do in order to really become a well-rounded business person. Being in that ownership seat of having to be accountable to that outcome, was there anything that was different than what you expected or was it exactly what you anticipated? I knew it was going to be a a challenge and and I had a hunch that the people side of it was going to be, you know, particularly part of that. 
But until I was actually seated at the executive table, until I was actually there trying to rally a cross-functional group of people who have their own day-to-day work to do and their own objectives, trying to rally them to your cause and get them to help you build Mm -hmm. things, being persuasive, the intrapreneurship skills you need to get things done in a company is far more complex and requires a lot more EQ Mm. than I think a lot of lifetime consultants like me would ever really appreciate. Mm. You know, you hand over a roadmap, like here's the, here's the brilliant strategy. Here's the roadmap. Here's your Gantt chart of one year of how you're just going to execute all this. But (laughs) I mean, a Gantt chart is, is a pretty picture, but an actual implementation is much messier. So Laura working at, you know, as a consultant versus Laura as VP of innovation. So in one situation, Cadillac Fairview may be contracting a consultant to come up with a strategy. On the other hand, it might be Laura, the vice president of innovation coming up with the strategy. How is it different in practice? The biggest difference is how much better I know and understand the business. When a consultant joins, your job is to get up the learning curve as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Learn just enough to be dangerous, but you are definitely not an expert in that business. I was always in a better position when I admitted fully, I'm like, look, I'm not trying to tell you that I know your business better than you. I definitely don't, right? <laughs> I'm relying on you as a subject matter expert to work with me to figure out solutions that make sense, Okay. right? And I think that that's how you get things done. And now being a business leader inside a business mm-hmm. and really taking the time and effort to understand deeply our economic drivers to understand deeply the dynamics between the different functions, to understand who are the change makers in the business that you can go and knock on their door and they're always going to be open to hearing and and experimenting with you. That stuff is how I think I've really evolved as a contributor and a skill that I think, you know, I I would love to see more people in the consulting learn how to develop because I think it would make them more effective Mm -hmm. consultants, but I really enjoy being on the client side. I find it really gratifying to feel like I finally really understand what this business is about. And it helps me feel like in a much better position to develop really viable ideas and solutions that are really going to make a difference. And to see them develop too. I know that like personally for me, whenever you're kind of tackling a difficult challenge and trying to figure out a solution for it or coming up with a strategy, seeing the people kind of grow around that problem and kind of seeing how much like the new skills that they develop and then the kind of the, the happiness and how gratifying it is for them to be able to take ownership over it and to see it through. And do, is that part of it for you as well? That's a huge part of it. I love helping people grow and stretch and learn. It's incredibly fulfilling, especially you become a leader and you have more, you have to watch more people's career progress. And, and sometimes you've fortunate enough to be in a mentorship position with some mm-hmm. of them, it's really gratifying. And I would say, I think a lot about, you know, the legacy of my career in the future, like, how do I want to look back on it? Yeah. And the times in my career that I remember, I've worked on, you know, dozens of cases and projects. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I could tell you a whole lot about the content of those projects right now, but I can definitely remember the people I worked with and how we did it. Mm. The act of getting together with a group of smart, ambitious, eager people to crack a tough problem and succeed 
Like that's really what this is about to me. Totally. And that's why I was happy to be a consultant because I was happy to be in whatever industry, whatever function. I didn't really care. I just like being part of that team, you know, going at it together. When you really believe in the mission of the company too. And so I, I would imagine with, you know, in consulting, you're working on just so many different companies and you're kind of a new team every month. You don't really get to kind of go deep, you know, around a mission that's really kind of special to yourself. When you have a team that's really special to you as well, that's to me is, a, is really where the magic happens. When you come in, you've got this great consulting background. When you joined Cadillac Fairview, you know, massive company, big team, like you said, 1200 brands that you work with. What was your approach to bringing in change when you first started at, at CF? So when I, I joined, I was fortunate that the innovation function had already been created. And the mandate given at the executive on the board, recognizing the need to you know, proactively innovate, particularly digital space, already existed. So I didn't have any uphill battles in terms of convincing the business that this needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Projects were already underway. So I was in a really fortunate position that I was here more to cement you know, what are the priorities we want to work on and start to bring that vision of digital innovation to life. So I would say I didn't need to come in and convince anybody, really. It was more like, let's roll up our sleeves and get going, Mm -hmm. which has been really great. But I would say because of the pandemic's effect on our core business, I really ended up seeing an opportunity for innovation to lean in and make ourselves useful to the core business. So instead of focusing so much on, here's some very cool stuff that in two, three, four, five years will really become relevant, it became all of a sudden of Mm -hmm. how can we help with digital tools right now and and really work hand in hand with our partners in you know the operations teams and i think that for innovation that was a real coming of age we got to show what we could do we got to feel like we were part of the team and show our operations partners that we were here to help them succeed mm-hmm. and so i think the silver lining was that we put a lot of proof points together to say hey having a team like this is really valuable because if you need something on the web or something in an app done in a hurry to reach customers or solve a problem, like here's your team. How did you navigate that crisis across the business? You know, the core business is people paying Cadillac Fairview to you know use the physical space that you have, which in many cases isn't able to be used anymore because it's considered dangerous to kind of leave your house. Look, I'm not gonna lie, it was a really hard time. It was a really hard time for everybody. Imagine working at a company that is in the business of operating spaces on an average year before the pandemic, our centers would see 250 million visits. Wow. And then being told to shut them all down and go to zero. Right? That, that is like, that's <laughs> inconceivable. Like in any risk management plan, that, yeah. that isn't even, no one could have even thought of that. And so I was very new to the business, right? I was two weeks in. I, it's well documented now, all the challenges that we had with, with figuring what do you do with mm-hmm. tenants that can't operate and buildings that have to be cleaned and, and secured and, totally. and you can't have people congregate. Like it was, it was really hard. And I think I'll make this comment, which I made then at the time as a new person, when you hire, a, when you're hired to join a company, mm-hmm. they tell you all about the culture and how great it is and all that good stuff. And, and you hear it and you're like, sure, that sounds great. But I think cultures are really tested, not when times are good, but when times are really rough. And I was, really impressed how true to the culture, to the people-centric, collaborative, empathetic approach within the business that Mm -hmm. I saw. Like when times were tough, the company really banded together, 
helped each other, engaged each other with empathy, engaged our vendors and our retailers with, with empathy and pulled through together. So, so very quickly, I guess I almost felt like a consultant again, because I barely knew this business and it was, okay, I know you had a roadmap, you had a plan, but it's time to pivot like crazy, learn what you can and let's figure what do we start, stop, continue. Mm-hmm. And how do we strike all kinds of cross-functional task forces and working groups and so forth to triage and figure out what needs to happen? How do we secure our spaces? How do we make sure that if essential businesses like a pharmacy is allowed to operate and it's inside a shopping mall and the only way you can access it is from inside the shopping mall, how do we make sure we can give people access to that space safely? Right? Mm-hmm. There was all kinds of questions. And in that stream, as I mentioned, Working, working with my peers in the operations groups to say, what do you need? How can, how can we help you? Mm-hmm. And standing up things really quickly. And we were also, we were about to launch our, our flagship shopping companion app, which is not ideal when malls are closed. So we took that opportunity to pause and rethink and say, in this new environment, what do people really need? And how can we make this tool as useful as possible in that context. Mm-hmm. So we added things like, where are the curbside pickup locations? How can I find those on a map? Uh, where, where are the hand sanitizer stations? You know, all kinds of tools that we could put it. Where, what's the real-time information so I know what the operating hours are of this mall and which stores are open and which aren't. So then we relaunched the app two months later when our properties reopened with a lot of really useful information in them that was relevant to what was needed in the moment. So it was mm-hmm. really a very dynamic time, lots of long hours, lots of stress, but I think it really galvanized our, our company mm-hmm. and it rallies you together and you realize, wow, if we can make it through that, we can make it through anything. People have been kind of predicting the downfall of malls for, for decades, yet Cadillac Fairview is doing better than ever. How do you see the role of malls? Has it changed historically and, and do you see it kind of changing as we think of the future going forward? Oh yeah, we think about this a lot. I would say in a lot of situations, not all malls are created equal, mm-hmm. especially in we see south of the border. There was an over-proliferation of malls. And so during the pandemic, a lot of those malls shut their doors and won't reopen. And we've seen in the news, a lot of those malls are converting their spaces to be Amazon distribution centers. But the A-class malls, and CF operates A-class malls in very good locations, There is still, I believe, a lot of relevance in the mall as a community gathering place. Mm -hmm. If you think about what the mall was originally conceived as, the idea of a mall was created post-war, you know, in the flight to suburbs, car culture. The idea of a mall was about taking the town square that people had been going to for thousands of years in the center of their city or their town and recreating that experience Mm -hmm. anywhere. And if you think about it through that lens, then a mall is a gathering place and it can be a marketplace, but it can be so much more than that. Mm-hmm. The need for a mall to exist so people can come just do an errand and buy a commodity item that is now very easily available online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think those days are just about done. But the opportunity of a shopping center to be a community center and to bring people together and have experiences together, some of which is shopping but some of which is going to a restaurant or going to a movie theater or taking your kid to sit on Santa's lap. All of those things still, I believe, have a lot of value and are things that cannot be replicated easily online. 
So the more you lean into the human experience, the social experience, the five senses experience of being somewhere, I think that's where we succeed. And then my role comes in as how can I use digital tools to facilitate that experience, to make it easier, more seamless, more personalized, so that it is relevant to a consumer who uses Amazon as their reference point. How do you think that in the context of an increasingly virtual world? And I'm completely confused by it, but Facebook and Microsoft are both making huge bets on it. So I feel like it's going to happen. But this idea of the virtual world, the metaverse, like how do you see retail in this future where people are connecting in a virtual space, even agnostic of, of Cadillac Fairview, but just retail in general? Like how is this virtual world going to impact retail in your mind? I've been doing a lot of research about this lately because the, yeah, the question is, is coming from everywhere. Because it's not just true about shopping, it's true about office environments. The more research I do, the more I understand that the metaverse, it's pretty inevitable. It's, it seems like it's going to be the natural evolution of, of the web. To ignore it is to ignore it at your peril. So what we're spending some time thinking about right now is in what way would the virtual world create incremental value to people? And that's, I think, where we would pursue it. Maybe, maybe I'll be wrong. I'm just speculating, but it's not about replicating the current mall, like building a digital twin, a, a carbon copy of my shopping center and making it virtual and having you walk your little avatar store to store the way you do now. I think that to me is not really better or different or adding value to people. We're only stretching the surface. I don't think we know what the metaverse is going to be. I think right now, you know how I, I try to explain to people like, in 1995, when the internet just mm -hmm. became a thing, the, the main thing people were thinking to do with it was, was AOL was sending you mail and literally showing you a picture of a mailbox to signify this is your, it's just like your physical mail. It comes in an envelope, you open it, looks like a sheet of paper and we say you've got mail. Fast forward 20, 30 years, and now we've got like TikTok and we've got eBay and we've got digital payments and like all kinds of stuff that could, no one could have conceived of. Mm -hmm. In, in the night, we have YouTube. That wouldn't, you know, there's all, there's so much innovation that has been unlocked, but it took a long time for people to figure out how to use the internet to add incremental value that is different than what's happening in the physical world. And I think that's where we are in the metaverse. I think right now you see a lot of what people are doing. And it's like, here's me making a virtual office, mm -hmm. a virtual conference room, and a virtual whiteboard. Here's yeah. a, a virtual, right? Versus saying, what is the wild and crazy and completely different thing that none of us have even thought of yet that in 10 or 20 or 30 years uh, will add value to our lives, will be interesting yeah. and different? And so I don't know what that looks like yet in retail, but I'm sure it's coming. I've never felt so old as when I tried to understand metaverse and, and NFTs, but it, it has a lot of the same feelings of the kind of the dawn of the internet where it was like, hey, this is the future and only a few people see it and the applications seem kind of ridiculous. But at the same time, like you see some of these brands making some bets on it where there's, you know, people buying up actual virtual real estate. But as a person, though, I just have a hard time imagining like, okay, instead of me going to Cadillac Fairview, I'm going to put on some virtual, a virtual headset, and then I'm going to appear at, at Cadillac Fairview. Because like there's some things that are just difficult to to convey, like touch, you know, feel, smell. How do you drive that incremental value 
you know, outside of just being able to kind of see things and hear them in the metaverse? Like that, that's, that's what I'm struggling with in terms of like, how would I actually use this? That's a great question. I think we're all trying to figure that out. There are certain fields where I think the metaverse is particularly relevant is in new ways of delivering content and new ways of interacting with art and music and, you know, experiential. As to the question of ownership of things in the metaverse, be it a pair of Balenciaga faux sneakers for your Fortnite avatar, or even the idea of digital land, those to me are still open questions. I don't know, we're getting so deep, but is that real? And if it's not, is that okay? Because the reason we wear fashion versus just, you know, you could all just wear a sack and do the job is because it's a form of Mm self-expression. And so if you see some, the idea of someone paying money to kit out their avatar in some designer gear, how is that different than me wearing it down the street? It's because it's just because this is how I want to represent myself in my environment, whether my environment is physical or digital. Yeah. But real estate is interesting because what drives the value of real estate in the real world is scarcity and proximity. But in the virtual world, those things actually aren't real constraints because Mm. any scarcity of land created in the internet is manufactured. It's not real. Is there a limit to how many websites can be created? No. So why is there a limit to how much, quote, physical space can be created? Mm -hmm. There's not. And proximity too. If you think about it, buying a house, a virtual home next to Snoop Dogg's virtual home in Sandbox, wherever Snoop Dogg land is, what does proximity mean? Yeah. On Google, is Wikipedia adjacent to eBay? I don't know. That's not even a thing because I can just search and be anywhere I want instantaneously. There is no such thing as proximity. So I'm just fascinated to watch this all evolve. I think it's going to evolve. I'm just I'm just like eating popcorn, you know, like watching it because I'm fascinated. I know I know it's the future. I know we're getting there. I just think we're just maybe in like the AOL days of the the first innings kind of one of the other things I wanted to ask you, Laura, just because this is a hot topic for a lot of brands is the idea of the relationship with the customer. And you guys are in an interesting position at Cadillac Fairview because you have multiple different stakeholders. You have relationships with your retailers and you have relationships with the customer. How do you think of the concept of loyalty, customer relationships in the context of having multiple different stakeholders? And, and what are some of the strategies that you guys have, have deployed? As I mentioned, we are mindful and careful not to be disintermediating the consumer with the brands that we leave space to. We recognize that these are their customers in terms of that's where the transaction happens. Mm-hmm. We're more top of funnel, right? We're here to bring them in the door. Mm-hmm. We're here to make them aware of your brand. We are here to encourage them to choose our centers during the holidays yeah. or on the weekend or whatever. We are here to bring the audience and the customers to the retailers. And in as much as we can, we make a real effort to make those shoppers loyal to CF's center as a whole. So we want you to be loyal to Sherwood. We want you to be loyal to Schnook or CF Rideau. But we don't want to pick favorites, right? And say that you should shop at retailer A versus B. However, we are happy to give those retailers a platform to communicate 
with the shoppers that we know are coming mm -hmm. through our doors, through our physical channels, you know, signage, location, participation, of sponsorship events, or through our digital channels. We have, uh, we have an email insider uh, program. We have our Live by CF app. We have websites, et cetera. So when we think about loyalty, we are primarily concerned with making people loyal to CF's shopping centers, mm -hmm. but it's really up to the retailer to drive the conversion. You're basically saying we're just basically focused on get a, a customer to show up and to choose the malls that the retailers happen to be in. And then once they're there, so you're really winning that first battle. And then you're saying, okay, hey, retailer, here's some customers. We're going to drive traffic to you. Now put your best foot forward now. All shopping centers will tell you that that's what they do. Yeah. Uh, or they should, do, should be doing, right? They all have marketing departments. They definitely all want to do that. I think where CF differentiates in that is that our marketing team is constantly experimenting and trying new ways to bring that traffic through the door and go one step further and say, yeah. Come back many times because we're get, we got the mix of stores you want. We have events that you are interested in. Yeah. We are bringing newness and innovation and it feels fresh and exciting and it's a great experience to be there. Plus the innovation team, we are now working on tools to make the shopper even more engaged and for us to get even more information and understanding of how those customers shop mm -hmm. and how they even spend. Because we launched a digital gift card that helps us better understand shopper behavior much easier than you know, a, a physical card that you can't necessarily do a lot of analysis on. But yeah. knowing who that shopper is, understanding their habits and behaviors, and then partnering with retailers to design programs and initiatives and events together that helps those retailers succeed. That's, that's the area we're going into now. I spent a lot of time thinking about what I'd call the attribution problem, right? Which is how do you measure how effective your funnel is at pulling people in from awareness to consideration to, you know, to purchase. Mm -hmm. And the more that we can help retailers understand that journey and be more effective every step of the way, the journey working together, that I think is real value. Cadillac Fairview runs one of the most successful gift card programs in North America. Why do you think CF has been so successful in the gift card program while others really want to make it successful, but, but often struggle to get their, their gift card programs to get, you know, off the ground? CF has done, I think, a really good job, as I mentioned, of having really great malls, and really great locations full of really great retailers. What better gift card is there than giving someone a, 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 the gift of choice? Right, because you can spend that gift card for you, you can go out to dinner with it, or you can buy your kid shoes, or you can treat yourself to whatever you want. And so, the universality of, of that gift card, I think, is valuable. I think the power of our brand—it's trusted. If you send this to your cousin that lives in another city, they can still use it because it's a CF shopping center in most major markets in Canada. In the data, there's a lot of value as well. Right, mm -hmm. like I mentioned, understanding purchase behaviors, understanding. You know, what interventions can you make that make people make different choices? The more that we can start to harness that information and understand, it helps us make better decisions in terms of what makes of retailers we put in a local center to customize it to the demands of those people, what drives repeat purchases. You know, th those, that kind of information is super, super valuable. Uh, and I think increasingly, the more that we work with our retailers, we help them see, hey, uh, uh, someone holding a, a CF shop card is a very qualified 
customer, right? It's a lot cheaper for us to, to say to retailers, hey, you want to you wanna send a message to the 100,000 people who we know mm-hmm. have money burning a hole in their pocket on their digital shop card? It's much more effective to target that group of people than you know, spending thousands of dollars on social media marketing, which is getting extremely expensive and really difficult mm. to attribute the value of that advertising if they're not conducting their transaction online, mm. right? If you see a, 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 an ad for a pair of sneakers online and then you go and you bought it in the store, that company yeah. has no way to know how effective that ad is. Mm-hmm. If we on the Live by CF app send a targeted ad to someone we know has a gift card balance and then they go and they buy the shoes, well, that is perfect attribution measurement. How do you think of the increasing importance of, of data and like how are you helping with the, the retailers with some of the data that you're getting? We love partnering with our retailers on, on the data that we get. And we have in the last few quarters or months, I would say, initiated a, a program where we do reach out to our retailers and share with them a bit more. Mm-hmm. I think recognizing in the pandemic that it, you know, their success is our success. Right. And so as much as we can share the insights that we have, because we do a lot of our own research on consumers, on shoppers, and we understand shopping patterns and we keep tabs on the Canadian, you know, retail sector as a whole, we have the bird's eye view. So we've been sharing a lot of that with more and more of our retail leaders uh, and really evolving our relationship with retailers, not just to be that traditional, the landlord negotiates with the head of real estate at a a retailer, they put in their store and that's kind of the end of it. We really try to build relationships with heads of the marketing and the e-commerce and the store operations teams, for example. Mm-hmm. And then we work together with those retailers to build programs to say, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to launch, you want to launch your new store in a mall? Great. Mm-hmm. How can we help you spread the word? How can we help drive shoppers that we know are interested in this type of good to the grand opening? How can we build an event around it with you? And how can we measure the results of the performance of that store opening versus maybe a control test, mm-hmm. right? To know the effectiveness of, of the marketing work that we do uh, on their behalf and with them. So increasingly, the more data points we collect, the smarter we get. And because we have, like I said, the bird's eye view and the experience of having done that with many different retailers, that's valuable to retailers because then they can come to us and say, I'm doing a store opening. Yeah. What have you seen work and not work? I'm redesigning my stores. What have you seen to be effective or less effective? I'm launching a new marketing campaign. Where should I choose to buy ads? So the more we collect data on how consumers react and behave, uh, I think the, the better it will be for retailers as a whole. Every retailer I talk to, they're like, every sale is an omnichannel sale. You know, increasingly trying to make this, you know, seamless, physical, digital experience. What do you, I guess, how does Cadillac Fairview think of the role of of mall in the omnichannel experience? I would say that we, even before the pandemic, we recognized that there was a shift, right? There was definitely a shift and retailers were all at different phases of their own digital transformations. And we've seen that even accelerate during the pandemic. And during the pandemic, we realized that there was an opportunity for CF to lean in more and recognize how much of the, of the transactions were, they might, might start on your phone, you come to the store, you try the items on, mm-hmm. but then you go home and order it online anyway, because they didn't have the size and the color you wanted, right? And, that, and that's a totally legit shopping journey, 
right? Like that is, that is a very common shopping journey now, whereas like five years ago, you know, that would be less common. Mm-hmm. And so recognizing the role we have to play in supporting it, we, we have an initiative actually on the innovation team, we call it Omni Enablement. So how do we help our retailers enable their own omni-channel sales? And that could be things like I mentioned, supporting curbside pickups. So we, we, de- we now have dedicated parking spaces for that. And I'll use food as a particular example where historically our food courts where you walk in, you order your sandwich, you eat it in the food court and you leave, or you take it back up to your office or wherever. And during the pandemic, we had to help all of those food court operators stand up their own food ordering operations, practices. But we also recognize that it's not so simple when the food delivery driver can't just drive up in front of your store. You're in a food court in the basement of a mall. So we had to set up dedicated parking spaces. And then we communicated the location of those spaces to all the food delivery companies to say, when you send your driver, here's where you should park in the shopping mall because this is the closest entrance to the food court to save your driver time. So we have been... In any way we can, you know, even facilitating ship from store, which is happening more and more, mm-hmm. facilitating buy online, pick up in store. We've been setting up all kinds of initiative to support and, and recognize that the mall is basically a distribution set because <laughs> people are coming and picking up themselves or stores are using it as just another, you know, forward deployed inventory and they're shipping from that location. Mm-hmm. Or people are buying things online and then coming and grabbing it. Like it's all yeah. become a bit of a tangled web, but we're... We're supportive of it. We're, we encourage it. Well, Laura, this has been such an awesome conversation. And, and I'm so grateful for you taking the time to, to come here and, and kind of give our, our listeners something special to listen to. Is there any kind of parting messages that you want to leave our audience with? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This is really fun. I love geeking out on the evolution of retail. The, the last thing I would say is I really still have a lot of faith and believe in the retail sector in Canada. It is the largest employer. If you, if you come on retail and wholesale, like 2.2 million Canadians work in retail. Mm. 2.8 million Canadians work in he- retail and wholesale. That's the biggest employing sector in the country. And the vibrancy of retail, to me, isn't just about buying stuff, right? It's about the human experience. It's about, mm-hmm. about engaging with others. It's the social parts of it. And I think even through the pandemic, even when people had no choice but to shop online, a lot of people were saying this will be the death of retail. Mm-hmm. This will be, you know, people will learn these new behaviors and they're never going to come back. Well, I can tell you the traffic's coming back. Sales are coming back. People are in our centers. People are happy to be there. And it gives me great hope coming out of the pandemic when we spent so much time isolated from each other that, you know, there's still a very bright future in retail. It's just a matter of continuing to evolve it to be relevant to how consumers want to shop today or, or be in the world today. So I'm, I'm still really optimistic about the future. I'm really excited about it. And I, I think hopefully Canadians will continue to support their local retailers and their local businesses because I think our not only our economy, but our day-to-day lives depend on that continuing to succeed. Yeah, it's so true. I think it's, like you said it best there, Laura, like it's more than just buying something. It's that human experience. And I'd say retail is, you know, the beating heart of Canada and, and you know, Cadillac Fairview plays a, a huge role in that. And so, again, thank you so much for coming. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you for tuning in to Behind the Brand, presented by NEO. If you enjoyed today's show and are interested in joining NEO, head over to join.neo.cc slash podcast 50. This link will also be available in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.